0: Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Now, it's not immediately, um, you know, apparent to us what this has to do with Christmas, because that's kind of what we expect this time of year, Uh, but hopefully it'll become so towards the end. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? "'The woman said unto the serpent, "'We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, "'but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. "'God hath said, You shall not eat of it, "'neither shall you touch it, lest you die. "'And the serpent said unto the woman, "'You shall not surely die. "'For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, "'then your eyes shall be open, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. "'And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food "'and that was pleasant to the eyes, "'and a tree to be desired to make one wise, "'she took of the fruit thereof and did eat.' and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord, Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. By the way, something that's interesting and it's not germane to this message, but you'll notice that you see the term Lord God used quite a bit. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is the covenant name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, some would say. It's interesting that in Satan's interaction with Eve, he never once uses God's covenant name. He dare not. He dare not. He uses uh, Elohim, among other things. He does not use Jehovah. That's just something to just kind of set aside for another day. Maybe we'll pop up in one of these other messages. Please understand, Satan's scared of God. He's scared of him. And rightly so, rightly so. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Don't ever forget that. We're no match for the devil, but my big brother is. My big brother is. And they heard the voice, verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Father, would you help me now as I preach this? May I do so in the way that most pleases you. May Jesus be lifted up in this, Lord. We just have your way in this place, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Adam and Eve have uh, just sinned and plunged the world into death. And we talked about this last week. You'll remember, we focused on that question from God. Where are you? Where are you? And we, we asked these questions. Where are you in the matter of your appetites? Where are you in relation to your assessments? Where are you in relation to your authority? And, and that, that brought us through that first few verses. But now, I want to ask this question or, or talk about this subject, where Christmas began where Christmas began. In Genesis 3, we take another look at the fall, and it seems like a strange passage to preach on a Sunday morning in the thick of the Christmas season, but if you'll forgive me the cliche, I'm convinced of this, that we can never fully appreciate this season if we don't understand the reason. See? Um, we don't celebrate Christmas because God wanted to add another date to His religious calendar, or give us another excuse to have parties and eat treats. Don't get me wrong; I'm not against that. We did that the other night. We did it in abundance. It was an embarrassment of riches—all the food that was there, and all the fun that we had, and all the—it was wonderful. It was wonderful. He doesn't give us Christmas to stimulate economies through shopping, or engender even a spirit of giving among human beings. We must never forget the truth that we set aside December the twenty fifth to commemorate the Virgin Birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A birth that was made necessary because mankind, beginning with Adam and Eve, took God's perfect creation and ruined it just ruined it. We can never fully stand in wonder of that perfect baby in the manger until we come face to face with what we are and why he had to come. And so to come to that realization, we go to where it all began, in the Garden of Eden, and we see that this is where Christmas began. Adam and Eve had given a per- they'd been given a perfect environment with everything they could want or they could need. And God gave them one instruction regarding their their conduct. Of all these trees in the garden, you may freely eat. Eat to your fill. Have as much as you want. If you like oranges, then that orange tree is for you. If you like pomegranates, then that pomegranate tree is for you. If you like apples, take your pick. We've got Granny Smith's over there. We've got Macintosh over there. We've got Fuji and Gala right here. I mean, whatever you want, it's yours. There's one tree you may not eat of, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, We don't know how much time elapsed between when humans were placed in Eden and and Satan's appearance there, but don't think it was very long. I can't give you a hard and fast number, but I expect it was pretty quick. And what you see here and what we read is that Satan strategically attacks the woman first. And the question that is often asked is why. I've got three theories for you. I I only subscribe to one. Theory number one, now hear me out before you run me out of here okay (laughs) theory number one is that Eve and by extension all women was more easily deceived and gullible I've heard that I do not subscribe to that theory ladies okay so don't don't you know start taking the strap off your purse and get ready to beat me with it don't do that some people wrongly use First Timothy two thirteen and 14 uh, to, to prop this up. For Adam was first formed then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. This is not an accurate stereotype generally, even if it was true for Eve. I don't think it was true for Eve either, but it's not an accurate stereotype. Can I just tell you that there have been times, many times, that my wife has had insight into a situation that I didn't. She has seen something, she has sensed something that just completely flew over my head. She's not gullible, she's wise. And so that's, that's, that's an unfair characterization, and I think that when that is preached, sometimes, it, maybe people are well-meaning, but sometimes preachers preach that a bit from a chauvinistic perspective, I don't know. Here's the second theory. That Eve had not yet learned all that Adam had, because Adam came first, and was at an intellectual disadvantage. There's nothing in Scripture to support that conclusion either. Adam and Eve were both created with full physical maturity and it stands to reason they were both created with full intellectual maturity. That doesn't mean they knew everything, but they had everything they needed to know what they needed to know. The idea that Eve was somehow lesser intellectually or the kids left right stupid. She wasn't. The, the brilliance of mankind was at its peak in that moment. Both men and women. We've been getting dumber ever since. Have we not? <laughs> Well, but look at the advancements we've made. That doesn't mean that we're smarter. God's blessed us with some discoveries, but the fact is we're nowhere near as smart as Adam and Eve. Think about it. Adam named all the animals. Now, that may not impress you, but then he remembered what he named them. See, I might could get by with naming the animals. But when that hippo walks by, I'm like, what did I name that thing again? Adam remembered them. I knew them. That, that's the second theory. Here's the third theory. This is my theory, okay? Why did, why did Satan strategically attack the woman first? Here's my official theory. You ready? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. I, knew Satan, I know Satan was and is cunning beyond human ability. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. Was Adam present at the initial temptation? Well, that's unclear too. And I've heard long messages about, let me tell you what happened. Adam wasn't where he was supposed to be, and God came after him, and Satan came after Eve. not That's all an argument from silence. You can't pull any of that out. What's interesting is when Satan is addressing Eve there, he's speaking using plural pronouns. That can mean one of two things. It could mean that he's saying what I'm saying is true about you and Adam, but it could also mean Adam's there too. Back to my theory. I don't know. I don't know. You you know that we talked about this last week, that Satan's temptation represented all three of the facets of sin as we see in, in 1 John 2, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It was all right there in that temptation. So what we look at is we look at when God interrogates Adam and Eve and even the serpent. And when he does this, several truths come to light. Just, just three of them I'm going to give you today. First of all, Adam sinned willfully. That's that We've got to understand that. Adam sinned willfully. There is, there is a, a perspective out there that, that Adam, in fact, you see it if you've ever read Paradise Lost in school. Because that's the only place you would read it, is in school. <laughs> John Milton offers that thought that Adam, knowing what was happening, Eve was deceived, and she was, the Bible says she was, but that Adam sinned with his eyes wide open because he, would rather, he loved Eve so much he'd rather spend eternity in hell with her than, than stay in Eden without her. Here's the problem with that. That assigns a nobility to sin that shouldn't be assigned there. It's never noble to go against the Word of God. Never. I don't care why you did it. It's never noble to go against the Word of God. And by the way, if that was true, his love for Eve, well, he sure did have a funny way of showing it in chapter 3, verse 12, when he immediately threw her under the bus. What have you done, Adam? It's the woman you gave me. She did it. She's at fault. No. What happened was Adam bought into the same rebellion that Eve did. Adam listened to the devil instead of listening to God. By the way, let's let's unpack a little bit of why this is so important, why this is so terrible. God has given them a perfect environment. He is giving them everything that they could want, everything that they could need. He has given them each other. They are living at the absolute pinnacle of life. And God comes and walks with them. It looks as though daily. He comes and fellowships with them in the cool of the day. What a wonderful situation. Satan comes to them one time. And they listen to Satan and reject God. One time. How offensive is that? Those of us that are married, if you spent a lifetime loving your spouse and supporting your spouse and and taking care of your spouse and then some floozy or some moron comes along and one time tempts away your affections, would you not be offended by that? God who's given us everything and how often are we chasing the latest shiny thing after God's been so faithful to us. This is a big deal, y'all, as all sin is. Adam sinned willfully. Second thing I want you to notice is that God means what he says. Look at verse number one of chapter three. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which, God, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the, in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Oh, but in chapter 2, verse 16, what did he say? The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But when you read the narrative, they take of the fruit. Did they die that day? The answer is yes. They did. Because God means... What he says, it'd be easy to conclude that Satan told the truth. They didn't immediately die. In fact, Adam didn't die until he was 930 years old. Almost as old as some of our government officials in Washington. That was free. The misunderstanding here is when we don't understand what death is. What is death? Death is not a cessation of existence. We understand that we are all eternal beings. Every one of us will spend forever somewhere. There's no annihilation. There's no ceasing to exist. Death is not a cessation of existence. It is a change in your trajectory. Now, what do I mean by that? Up until the fall, Adam and Eve were in a daily progression that got them closer and closer to God. But in the moment that they partook of that fruit, in the moment that they disobeyed, their life immediately turned, and now they are daily walking away from him. Their trajectory changed. And now, instead of growing growing closer to God, they're now getting farther away. That's what death is, y'all. And if we look at it, where does death ultimately end up? How far can you go before you're finally as far from God as you can be? The answer is hell. That's where it is. That's where it ends up. At at the fall, their trajectory began to take them away from God. And from that moment, Adam and Eve died spiritually. And we're on a path away from God. So the first thing we look at is Adam sinned willfully. Secondly, God means what he says. Now here's number three. You're going to like this one more. God is merciful. God is merciful. Chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. The Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as, he, as one of us. Who's he talking to, by the way? the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And people look at that and they say, well, that doesn't sound to me like God was being very merciful. Seems to me he would have wanted them to take hold of the tree of life, that they might live live and not die no they've already died they're already dead what god did was incredibly merciful he pronounced the earthly consequences of their sin adam you are going to toil in a cursed environment in the ground from which you were brought eve you are now going to have pain in childbirth and all you mothers say thanks a lot eve You're going to have pain in childbirth, and and your relationship with your husband, this marriage relationship will be diminished from here on out. It will never be what it could have been. And, And serpent, and by the way, did the snake do anything wrong? No. But God touched the snake with a curse as a constant reminder, a symbol of the one who had inhabited him. He'd crawl on his belly and eat of the dust. But then, even then, after he has pronounced his judgments, he provided for Adam and Eve. He gave them coats of skins far superior to the leaves that they were covered in. He gives them coats of skins that will protect them and that will hold up against the weather. And the, but, but remember, this is the first picture that sin can only be dealt with with blood. Plants, plants don't get it done. All of Cain's gardening didn't do him a bit of good. It had to be a lamb that was slain. But more than that, God provided for them when he barred them from the garden. Remember, they've sinned, and now they are in death. Their trajectory has been changed, and now they're walking away from God. What happens if they eat of the fruit of the tree of life? They will forever be in a state that walks away from God. And God said, I'm not going to let them do that. If I let them back in that that garden, I can never reach them. It seems punitive, but it's not. It's merciful. Okay. Y'all are going to get excited. It's 1147. So what? Don't get too excited yet. For those that are visiting, I had a professor in college... He said, when you're working on your message, work through everything, your outline, get the text squared away, get your, your interrogatives and, and your, your illustrations, get, it, get everything perfect, then sit back and look at it and say, all right, so what? What do I do with this? What do I expect my people to do with this? What, the truth is, you may not know it, but you're asking in your mind, so what? Okay, you just gave us three points out of a passage in Genesis with Christmas lights all around you. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, here's the so what. Just like Adam, we've all sinned willfully. Now, remember what we said to begin with. We can never truly appreciate this season if we don't understand the reason. And the reason for this season begins with the truth that we have all sinned willfully. Adam is our federal representative. That means that we would have done the same thing if we'd have been there. None of us would have passed this test, and it is never noble to disobey God. We are all sinners by nature. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, there are people that have not yet reached what we call the point of accountability, that they are safe. They are in the grace of God, and their, their, their place in heaven is secure. If, if a precious little baby passes away, that, that baby is born with a sin nature, but that baby is covered by the grace of God. That baby will be in heaven. The Bible teaches that clearly. You know, if somebody's got challenges in their life that doesn't allow them... Because you don't go to hell for sinning. I'm a sinner, and I'm going to heaven. You go, for he- go to hell for rejecting Christ. And, and if you don't have the wherewithal to reject Christ, then guess what? You're covered by the grace of God. But we understand that we, we all have a sin nature. Even our precious little babies... Precious little baby just born immediately figures out how to lie. Baby figures out if I cry, they pick me up. So I'm going to cry when I'm hungry. Okay, great. Then let's eat. Well, I'm not hungry, but I'm going to cry anyway. I'm going to make them think I'm hungry so they'll pick me up. That's a lie. And then as they get into toddlers, then you start seeing that sin nature really come forward. And then they get conniving, you know. And usually what happens is they, 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 tend, to, they tend to really represent, you know, one, or, one, one of the two sides of the family. With our kids, it's her side of the family. They start really, you know, really showing that white in them, the white Birgit thing going on there. Oh, if the Davises would come through more in my children. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by birth, but you know what else? We're sinners by choice. There's not a one of us in here that can raise our hand and say that I have never willfully sinned. We have. And our sin is unholy. And it separates us from God, it disqualifies us from heaven, and it dooms us to hell. We're all sinners. I've said this many times before. If you knew everything that goes through my head, you wouldn't want me as your pastor. And if I knew everything that goes through your head, I wouldn't want to be your pastor. Why? Because just like Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. I'm as sorry as the day is long. I know that's really exciting and, and, and uplifting news for Christmas. There's going to be days I'm a terrible neighbor. And there's days that I'm a terrible pastor, and there's days I'm a terrible husband, and there's days I'm a terrible father, because in my flesh dwells no good thing. And we've got to stop sugarcoating it. We've got to accept it, that it's true. We're sinful people. As is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are sinners. And if we're honest, we have to assent to that. Yes, I am a sinner. I have failed God over and over and over. I've said before that one of the things I most look forward to about heaven Uh, Yeah, I want to see the Lord, absolutely. And I want to see my loved ones that are there. And I want to see the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. Uh, Yeah, of course I do. But one of the things I most look forward to about heaven is that I will be in a new body that will never again let him down, that will never again fail him or come up short, that will never again do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, think the wrong thing, have a misunderstanding. I am so excited about getting rid of the sorriness that is me. We've all sinned willfully. And when we get ourselves in the light of a holy God, whew, we're like Isaiah Woe is me, for I am undone. And in light of that sin, we got to remember that God means what he says. A guy named Rob Bell came out with a book a few years ago called Love Winds. And in it, he advanced this notion that just at the end of it, God's a God of love. And at the end of it, God's going to say, you know what? Everybody gets in. Nope. Because if God does that, he's a liar. And if God's a liar, he can't save anybody. The fact is, we will spend forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. And just as with Adam, you may not see it, you may not feel it, but your sin and my sin has brought us death. You say, well, yeah, I I understand that one day I'm going to die. No, friend, without Christ, you're dead right now. Outside of Christ, everyone is on a trajectory that takes them away from God and ultimately ends in hell. That's what Paul means when he says, for the wages of sin is, not will be, is. Death, your sin is taking you away from God and taking you towards hell. Friend, we're not dying. We're dead. If you're outside of Christ, you're dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened which would have been dead or were dead. Were dead in trespasses and sins. As much as we'd like to believe that God's ultimately going to just throw off his hands and say, yeah, everybody gets in. It's not going to happen, friend. God means what he says. Here's the third, so what? Just like Adam, we've all sinned willfully. And God means what he says. But I'm glad to tell you God's merciful. God's merciful. Now, where do we see this? Verse 15. He's talking to Satan now. He looks at him and he says, This, hey Satan, listen to me, Lucifer, you hear me well. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed that's the long lineage of wickedness throughout the ages. I'll put enmity between thy seed. And her seed. Now, wait a minute. Usually in the Bible, the seed is, is marked through the man. Through the man. But not this time. Why? Because the one he's talking about doesn't have an earthly father. Through the woman's seed. Now, Eve thought he meant her. That's why when Cain was born, she got all excited. That was misplaced. Cain was not the redeemer of mankind. Abel certainly didn't think so. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Let's unpack that a little bit. If you bruise your heel, that hurts. And that can really affect you. If you've had a bruised heel or something like it, you know that it can really affect you. But but does it kill you? Not generally. It's something you can recover from. It's a temporary ailment. Can I tell you what the cross was? Oh, it was bad, but it was temporary. You bruised his heel. He was temporarily hurt, but he's not anymore. But what's interesting is it says it... shall bruise thy head. What is it? (laughs) If you go to John chapter 8, Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, he he says, uh, give your father the devil. And they come back and they say, we know who our father is. Our father's Abraham. Abraham implying that Jesus is illegitimate. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. You know what he says? He says, he rejoiced to see my day. When did Abraham see his day? In Genesis, when he took Isaac up there to that altar that he had built on Mount Moriah, and he was about to plunge his knife into Isaac's chest when God stopped him and he saw that Ram caught by a thicket, caught by his horns in a thicket. Oh, by the way, the suitable sacrifice couldn't be scarred on his body. So he was caught by his horns. And he prefigured another sacrifice that would have the thorns of a thicket around his head too. And the Bible says that Abraham named the place Jehovah. Gyra, you know what it means? It shall be seen. What was the it that Abraham saw? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And not for nothing, what was the next to last thing that Jesus cried out on the cross? It. It's finished. (laughs) What is this? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And what my son will do on that cross shall bruise thy head. Hey, Satan, you're a dead demon walking. It's done. It's as good as done. What was that? The very first mention of the gospel, when did it begin to be fulfilled? 4,000 years later. This 4,000-year-old prophecy was activated on that night in Bethlehem. God has provided a way to rescue us from eternal death. Satan would attempt to kill him, beginning with Herod. Tried to kill him all through his life never got close. And at Calvary, he would only succeed in bruising his heel, a temporary injury. What does this have to do with Christmas, Andy? I'll tell you what it has to do with Christmas. We cannot, we cannot really get excited about the cradle if we don't find ourselves thinking about his cross. So where's the first mention of Christmas? Genesis 3. What did Paul tell the Galatians? When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Why? To redeem them. To redeem them. We love Luke 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, and we we love all that, and we'll spend time in that. But you really want to get ahead on the idea of Christmas? you got to go to Genesis 3. What's the so what? The so what is I've sinned just like Adam has, and that God will keep his word, but aren't you glad he's merciful? That's what we see in the first mention of Christmas.